On today's episode of Hardwood Hot Takes, we are recapping the first week of games, previewing the Champions Classic, and ranking our top five current coaches in college basketball. All right, Hardwood Hot Takes, week three. Um, and this Tennessee basketball team has zero identity. I, I, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, this is a total mess. Um, I really did not expect a Rick Barnes coach team to look like this in a game like that. I, uh, there's a lot to take away from that. What you got, Tucker? Yeah, I think you just have to salute Tad Boyle here. Uh, that was a phenomenal coaching job that he did. Uh, pretty much you go in a 48 hour time span, you go from losing to an HBCU in the PAC 12 SWAC legacy series and grambling going to Nashville and then beating the 11th ranked team in the country, 78 to 66. So that's just a good job by him to have his guys ready. And Dom, like you said, they just don't, that they're not, they're not playing with an identity. I mean, we talk, we'll talk a little bit about it, but I mean, there was, in that Tennessee Tech game, they were just shooting threes like crazy. That was not the case in this game. It was fairly even the shot distribution of just two-pointers and three-pointers, and the guards just did not seem to be playing with an identity at all. Yeah, and, and we'll get more into that. Let's let's do it formally real quick, though. Obviously, Tennessee on the opening night took down Tennessee Tech 75-43, to and then they fell on Sunday to Colorado 78-66. to down in Nashville in the uh, in the Predators arena um, and I think that the, the main story in both those games was Tyreek Key as as a player goes but on the other hand I think the story is this team shoots a lot and, and they don't make a lot you know I was I was covering the game on uh, on Monday the opener and you know we got in the press conference room and and, and obviously there was kind of this weird feeling because because we won that game handily but obviously we were shooting the ball pretty poorly, especially in the first half. And Rick Barnes was asked about it, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm confident in this team's ability to shoot. I'm going to let them fly. I had no issue with what happened tonight. And, you know, the players that came in, I think it was Josiah Jordan-James and Tyreek Key, kind of echoed the same sentiment. And, you know, I walked out of that press conference like, you know what? Yeah, they're right. You know, this team has good shooters. We just got to keep shooting. And then I watched the game on Sunday. And we kept shooting, and we kept missing. Now, I'm not saying this team can't get it together and become a better shooting team. They, they probably can, but I don't think that relying on that and being as okay with it as the, the team seemed to be is, is something that should be happening. I mean, we played two teams that on paper we heavily outmatched, both in skill and just in pure size, athleticism. athleticism. We just have better prospects. And when that's the case, and you're not just pounding the ball inside and, and taking it to these teams, it, it seems ridiculous to me. I mean, obviously, um, Uros Plaszczyk did get injured in the second game, so you, you can make the argument there to, to is why we went more outside in the, uh, in the second half there. Because, you know, when we did go inside, it seemed to be working, though. I mean, we shot a ridiculous amount of free throws. It seemed like the first half, more than half of our points were on the line. So if we would have kept doing that in the second half and, and getting their guys in foul trouble, I think this would have been a different game. But but once Eros went out, we kind of went away with that, which which seemed odd to me because even though he is our kind of centerpiece of a big man, we still have other guys who can get down in there. And I just don't think the amount of shooting that, that we were doing was, was necessary. 
Yeah, and it just feels like this team has been incredibly cold to start, and the team seems way too satisfied to take bad shots. The team did not work hard for good looks, and instead we settled for a lot of a lot of like half good looks, especially in that second half. It just felt like this team was really content to take poor shots, and there was a lack of off-ball movement. The offense looked sluggish. It looked slow, and... Th- like you said, we looked good when we drove, but no one was really driving in and cutting in deep. And there was there was no way to create any opportunity because we would just end up passing the ball around the three-point line. And that it did nothing because that Colorado defense actually ended up being pretty, pretty good. And I do respect their team for that, but it was just not a good look for this Tennessee team. Well, I think part of that was this team, obviously, once they kind of got in that deficit in the second half, they, they wanted to shoot themselves out of the hole they had dug by continuing to shoot threes. And I, I think the smart thing, if, if, you're a, if you're a leader on the floor, if you're a coach, is to tell them, stop shooting those threes. But I think like that because that sentiment that I mentioned earlier is kind of seems to be a thing that this team believes in, they, they were there believing that they could shoot themselves out of this hole, and, and clearly that didn't work. Yeah, I think as disappointing as the shooting was from Tennessee, and it was disappointing, uh, part of it is got to play a little defense too, and I think that's something that Tennessee struggled with a little bit. I mean, K.J. Simpson and the uh, Silva both came off the bench, had double digits. I believe Simpson went for a double-double, 23-10 and 10 it was. So at some point you got to play a little defense as well, and Tennessee looked a little bit lost on that side of the court as well and that's something they were able to do well against Tennessee Tech but obviously you know it's Tennessee Tech so you've got the talent edge in there so you should be able to man man up on them pretty nicely but Colorado I mean they were just a different animal offensively yeah and I mean that wasn't something we expected in coming into this game either obviously uh Tennessee was favored by 15 and a half I saw that and said and said no way right away and I I was right but I did not think I I would be right to this extent you know I think the other thing we have to talk about when it comes to this game because look obviously you know this loss is bad it is what it is but it's the second game of the season it's November after feast week after all this you know non-conference stuff happens and we're in a conference play this game will be an afterthought you know it'll hopefully just be kind of seen as a growing pain of this team um, so I, I'm not worried about what happened tonight in the long run. I'm sh- I'm sure Rick Barnes, you know, has the ability to figure this out and, and, and get this this ship corrected. But I think the bigger question that, that does have more of a long term impact is the starting lineup and, and is kind of how this rotation works, because after this game, I, I, I don't know the exact quote. I wasn't in there, yeah. but but I know, you know, Rick Barnes We've had said, some very strong words about Zakai Ziegler. Yeah, he's, he's, he essentially just said Zakai Ziegler starting isn't working. He doesn't think the way they're coming out is good. And, and I expect to see Tyreek Key starting um, come what, what day do we play? It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Come Wednesday. Expect Tyreek Key to be out there starting guard against uh, Florida Gulf Coast. Um, I mean, I, I even mentioned it, you know, we, we were in a group chat, and I, and I sent, like, right after this game started, I said, Tyreek Key not starting as criminal. He has been the best player throughout the preseason, throughout these first two real games. There's there's no reason he shouldn't be starting. He's the veteran presence out there, and Zakai Ziegler has publicly stated he wants to be the sixth man, and obviously after after uh, Sunday's game, I think he's he's going to get that wish. Um but we will we will look forward to that Florida Gulf Coast came here in another segment. But I think let's let's recap some some other games from this past weekend weekend before we get there. 
Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and just start with with my game because because I, I need to get some stuff off my chest. Obviously, Michigan State falls by one point to Gonzaga in the Carrier Classic. I think that's what it's called. The Ar- I think it's Armed Forces Classic is the name of it. Something. Something uh, like that. But but a game played on a carrier ship. You know, it was a cool sight uh, to kind of see the flyover, to see all the military out there. It was a great spectacle. Um, but as far as what happened on the court, Michigan State played far above my expectations. They were the better team on the floor for, uh, I'd argue, the whole game. I think the only reason tennis or the only reason Michigan State lost that game is because of the foul trouble they got in, and the, and their two guys that were kind of taking them through that whole game were not there down the stretch in the last five minutes, and and Gonzaga's you know playmakers were, and then they were able to pull that out. But but I think for me in that game, I take away. That Gonzaga is good, but I don't know they're number two in the country good, you know, especially looking at that in couple with Tennessee's dominant over them in the preseason. And I think Michigan State is, is much better than people expect them to be. And I mean, this happens every year, right? I think Michigan State is, for some reason, always either overseeded or underseeded. We're, we're never where we're supposed to be. You know, if our recruiting class is good or we're coming off like a Final Four or something, they're going to throw us in the top five to make those champions classic, you know, matchups look pretty. And if they don't think we're going to be that good, they just completely throw us out and forget that, that Tom Izzo is, is coaching this team. And this team still has a bunch of former four and five star players that are, that are going to get something going. Um, so, I mean, this team will continue to get tested uh, down the road, like I said, in the champions classic, but obviously you, you walk away from that, that loss uh, disappointed because you had an opportunity to take down the number two team and, and solidify yourself in the top 25. But I mean, you don't walk away mad because you went toe to toe with arguably the best team in the country or one of the top, you know, three teams in the country and, and looked like the better team on the floor. Yeah. Really impressive game by Michigan state in this one. Just w- they were able to keep their composure really well, which I was not necessarily anticipating. Uh, with that team, but then again, Izzo's coaching and just phenomenally coached team throughout that game, uh, just really executed their game plan well, knew exactly where they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to be doing, and Gonzaga really clawed in back into this one, I think, thanks to Drew Timmy. Timmy was just able to go off, especially late, and cause a lot of problems for Michigan State, just with his size and athleticism and experience i mean the dude's been playing like what 20 years at this point um feels like he's an old man now but really impressed with michigan state in this one tom Izzo once again proves that his teams are never to be looked at as an easy mark on the schedule yeah and i mean i i think you know the drew timmy thing is also kind of doing obviously he's a great player i think it's also due in fact to to what i mentioned down the stretch is when he got going because he wasn't all that great in the first half Mm -hmm. is our guys got in foul trouble and we had to put a freshman on the, on him who has never guarded a player even close to to Drew Timmy's likes, and he was getting dominated. Then we switch someone else onto him. He has to foul. He gets fouled out. So it's kind of just like Drew T- Drew Timmy kind of just got all of our bigs in positions where where they couldn't really guard him fully because if you have four fouls, you can't kind of mm-hmm. get physical with him, which you need to do. So I mean, I, I think Drew Timmy is great, but I think that was part of it. If we if we had a a more experienced big man in there, I think we would have been able to handle him better. But we we had you know a freshman guarding him, and then a guy in Matty Sissoko, which which I I guess is a veteran now. That's crazy for me because I still think of him as as kind of this freshman, this raw player, which he still is to an extent. Like if if you watch that game, he, his skills are, are not honed yet. 
Um, but, but he looked much better, especially in that first half. Yeah, I think the thing with this game, and really Gonzaga as a whole, is Timmy is going to have to be the guy for them this year because they don't have a Shed Holmgren, uh, a Corey Kispert, or a Jalen Suggs that they've brought in uh, just uh, through recruiting. But he's going to have to be the guy all around on offense for this them this year. They're going to have to pound it with him. Uh so I think he is, of course, a big reason why they won this game, probably why they will continue to succeed in the future. But Michigan State, I mean, this is not one you hang your head on. I mean, losing by one to the number two team in the country, you look at that positively and you take it and you channel it uh, just for games going into the future, and it should really motivate you going into Big Ten play. Yeah, and because of the lack of Gonzaga's other options on offense, I do, like Keegan was talking about, I do think this Gonzaga's team is a lot weaker than originally anticipated because if you have to run your entire offense through a guy like Timmy, it's just not how modern basketball is played. I love big men and I love uh, getting the ball low and pounding it in there. But if you continually have to go to the post in, in the modern game, it's just very hard to win because oftentimes so many teams just, they hit their threes and you have to hit your threes too. And this Gonzaga team doesn't seem to have as many shooters as it has in the past. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a reason that, that Chet Holmgren's in the NBA right now and Drew Timmy's not. They played in the same team last year. Drew Timmy was a much better player, but Chet Holmgren can shoot the basketball, and that's why he's, why he's in the NBA and why Drew Timmy is stuck around. Um, anyways, moving on to, to two other teams who lost some big players. Memphis takes down Vanderbilt this weekend. What, what do we think of that? I mean, honestly, Vandy put up a better fight than I think most people expected. Uh, but then again, Vandy without Scottie Pippen Jr. just does not seem to be able to quite get it done. And Memphis handled this game pretty well. I think uh, really impressed with their ability to score. I mean, putting up 76 in a college game is pretty darn impressive. So maybe this Memphis team is going to come back around and Penny Hardaway is going to prove me wrong that he's actually a decent coach. Yeah, I uh, I was not terribly surprised by the end result of this game. Uh, Memphis, of course, led by night by as much as nineteen at one point in this game, and Vanderbilt doesn't seem to have too much of an offensive identity uh, without Scottie Pippen now because uh, they're, they're one of their lead scorers in this game, Miles Studi. He's a forward, but he just shoots the ball. He's not really an interior presence. Uh, as far as interior presence is, Quentin Malora, Brown, Liam Robbins, those are not guys that are going to do a whole lot for them down the road. So they're going to have to find a guard that can really help them out this year. Yeah, I mean, I think Vanderbilt was, was kind of a flash in the pan with Scottie Pippen Jr., and I think they kind of fall back into irrelevancy in the, in the SEC this season. Uh, moving on, North Carolina, two games uh, this past week against UNC Wilmington and uh, College of Charleston. And, and two games that on paper, they won by double digits. And if you're looking at that box score, you're like, okay, you know, number one team in the country, they're taking care of business. But if you watch these games live or kind of watch the score live, Carolina was in danger in both these games. It was a single-digit game towards the end uh, with UNCW, and they were down 10 at some point against Charleston. So – They've obviously kind of looked beatable early in these games and been able to put them put them away. Do you think you you take any credence out of this with Carolina or just kind of similar to what we saw with Tennessee where it's kind of some growing pains and, and once we they get into things, it won't be an issue? I almost take it as a good thing because with a team like this, you're going to have – any team can have struggles early on in the season, especially if you're coming off of 
a really good season like Carolina had last year going to the national championship. I, I think them having all these players back negates that, though. Like, I think it should be the opposite. If you're no, reloading, I, but I don't know. I know, but what I'm saying is just that I feel like maybe there's a bit of a hangover there, and these guys were a little bit rusty and a little bit nervous to get back out there with so much to prove. Um, and I think... I think it's honestly a little bit of a good thing for North Carolina because it does show that this team can fight back when it matters. I mean, even though they went down against teams they should not have been down against, it does show that this team is able to fight even early in the season. I don't know, though. Maybe, but then again, this UNC Wilmington team honestly was pretty good. I think we acknowledged that. So I think it's a good win for them there. The Charleston game's a bit different, though, Tucker. All I really see here is just the number next to the name. Number one, North Carolina. Of course, when you're number one in college basketball with this much season left to play, the target is on your back. And I think that's what we're seeing here a little bit with North Carolina. I mean, the experience is there. Um, you know, for them to be struggling a little bit early against some of these weaker opponents is just a little bit concerning this early in the season. I think when they see, you know, a more difficult competition and non-conference play, it could hurt them. But, you know, I think when it's all said and done, they're still going to be one of the best, if not the best, team in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, they're in this Phil Knight tournament coming up uh, during Thanksgiving week, which I, I think on paper is probably the toughest of the uh, the Thanksgiving tournament. So they'll definitely get tested there. Um, and then I think they play Indiana, too, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So we, we will find out whether they, le- they are <laughs> legit or not. Um, moving on to some more ACC stuff. Louisville, Florida State, both 0-2, both with two losses to non-Power 5 teams. What's going on here? What's going on in the ACC? What's going on with Louisville? The the Kenny Payne era is starting off horribly. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They lost to Lenore Ryan in an exhibition, and now they've lost two games to Wright State, who's generally not bad. Bellarmine, who you know is pretty upset by what happened last year. Uh, that was probably the biggest robbery of all time, not being able to go to the tournament. Uh, so they're definitely upset. Of course, Louisville's got, well, what minor NCAA penalties have been assessed to them because they're not significant, although that may be because they're already so far down. Uh, Florida State, on the other hand, this is a bit more concerning. Obviously, they had a year last year that they were ranked early on in the season and they just fell off a cliff. I didn't, ex- I didn't expect them to continue to fall. I mean, Stetson is not a great mid-major team I mean you don't see Stetson in the tournament every year I mean UCF is solid but things are not going well for Leonard Hamilton right now at Florida State yeah I I agree there I mean I think uh, Florida State definitely surprised me more when looking at this like you mentioned I mean Leonard Hamilton's a guy who's been there for 20 20 plus years now at, at Florida State he has decent recruits he's you know a veteran coach a veteran coach in this conference you know I I would be hard pressed to find another co- another coach who's been tenured for 20 plus years who starts out 0 and 2 against by games I, I don't know if you you could even look through I, I don't know if you could find another instance of that happening it's very surprising to me like I said Kenny Payne I don't know if I was all that confident on him you know he had he had some some accolades going into it kind of being with with top programs and top coaches in in Louisville and Kentucky but he definitely has had not proved himself as a head coach yet, and it looks like he's going to be on the hot seat very quickly 
Um, but I, I'm definitely more interested in the Florida State situation to see kind of how that, that figures itself out. Yeah, with a coach that's been there so long, it's always so hard to know what teams will do because sometimes they can, sometimes the athletic program can immediately take a step in another direction very confidently. But oftentimes these guys kind of get stuck there because they've been there so long and no one really wants to let them go just because they're missing that success that they used to have. So I'm really interested to see how that Florida State situation plays out. As far as Louisville goes, Louisville has just seemed to crumble year after year after sort of that Patino era, just not really been able to recover all that well. I mean, they had Donovan Mitchell, but that's about the only good thing I can remember in recent times for Louisville. It's been a long fall for them. Yeah, I mean, I think we we can all say that, that Rick Pitino, obviously, you know, he, he got fired for a reason, but at this point, you'd be better off just taking him back. I mean, he's doing better things with Iona than anyone can do with, with your ACC program, so you kind of got to look yourself in the mirror and, and, and throw your – maybe – do you agree with me? Can you throw out your morals and, <laughs> yeah, and grab them? Yeah, why not? I don't know. Seriously. I mean, you, you recruiting violations don't really exist anymore anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it it was always kind of – it seems like it was always kind of questionable around the whole Patino situation. I don't really know if anyone got the full pati- full picture with that. So may, maybe Patino's not as bad of an option as we thought, and it seems like he's been doing fine over at Iona, so – I don't know, Louisville. You got a lot to figure out. All right, some some more Power Five misery here. Oklahoma uh, starting out one and one. They had a loss to Sam Houston by one point, and they barely just beat Arkansas Pine Bluff by I think it was either six or eight points. So they're not looking great. I mean, they scored fifty-one points against Sam Houston. That's that's a rough look for a team that has you know for the past couple years been competing in the big 12 for the most part they've not been the best team in the big 12 but they've been competing it's it's definitely surprising there and i think the most surprising thing is you know with all the success that they've had you know long kruger built up a program there of course he retires you bring in porter moser who's had a lot of success at loyola chicago that i mean I, I don't understand what's not working for this team because this guy's proven that he can be a good coach now he's at a good program where he can bring mm-hmm. in good recruits I don't think they lost a ton out of last year's team. I mean, the Groves brothers are still there. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's not like this team has taken a huge step back from where it was. Yeah, and sometimes it just feels like uh, there's coaches out there who can do so much with so little, but once they get resources, they have no idea what to do and they get overwhelmed. And I feel like that's what's happening here. And what's even weirder to me is just this feels like a total identity loss for this Oklahoma team because usually they're a high-powered high-octane, fast offense that scores a lot of points and shoots the three-ball ton, and putting up only 51 points against Sam Houston, that's pretty absurd. That's hard to pull off. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not super worried about it. I think he's a good coach, and I think Oklahoma will, will be able to turn it around in, in Big 12 play. I'm not as worried about that one. Um, a couple of other top 25 teams going down in Villanova and Oregon, uh, this Villanova one I called. I, I, I remember saying, I think this Villanova team, first game coming off, Temple easily covers a spread. They they easily did and won. Um, that's not shocking to me. First game with new head coach. I don't even put anything into that one. And the other one, Oregon losing to UC Irvine. UC Irvine's not a bad team, so that doesn't shock me as much either. And, um, yeah, what do you guys think about these two? 
Yeah, I mean, we knew it was going to be interesting without Jay Wright. They played LaSalle in that first game, actually, but they, they still won by double digits. But the thing is, with the new coach, I mean, you're, you, you've got to reset everything, and without a point guard, uh, or at least without the point guard you had last year, it's going to be a whole new look for this team. And Gillespie, the team really ran through Colin Gillespie last mm-hmm. year. So uh, they've got a new look, and Temple – Temple's not a bad mid-major, but they're not. They haven't been in the tournament a whole lot recently, so it is a little upsetting for Villanova. But there are definitely growing pains associated with the new coach. Uh, Oregon, on the other hand, I mean, like you said, Keegan, UC Irvine is a team that's consistently made the tournament. I mean, they beat Kansas State a couple years ago as a 13, so uh, not overly surprised by this. But the fact that they led by as much as 27 on a team like Oregon and Dana Altman has proven that he is a coach that can get his team far in the tournament. So that is a little bit surprising. Yeah, that totally shocks me because, again, Oregon is another one of those schools that attracts top-tier athletes. And it's just a school where you should really be able to do decent with your guys because of how athletic they are. And losing losing by how much they did and being behind by 27 is – that's a lot for a team like Oregon, and it's embarrassing, as it should be. Yeah, um, and then we have one, one more game to get to, which uh, which kind of has some precedent in our matchup uh, coming this Wednesday. But before we get to that one, I do want to mention, do you guys see um, the Michigan-Eastern Michigan game? Not a surprising outcome in the score. Michigan won. Uh, they do this game a decent amount of years. Um, they play it in Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. But Imani Bates scored 30 points. After all the turmoil, him almost getting arrested and transferring schools over and over again. He's found a place in Eastern Michigan. He just scored 30 against Mich- the Michigan Wolverines. Maybe maybe it was good for him. Maybe he needed the humbling. Uh, that That's all I got there. I mean, I, I think that, you know, going to a different place, humbling yourself a little bit, I mean, that's kind of what Cam Newton did when he was at – or before he got to Auburn. Of course, he gets in trouble at Florida, goes to Juco for a year, and then – Balls out there and then goes to Auburn, has a Heisman campaign. So, you know, maybe we're seeing something similar here. I mean, obviously Eastern Michigan is not like a Power 5 school or anything, but you can help out your draft stock a little bit. Yeah, and it should be interesting to see with Eastern Michigan because of the conference they're in and the lack of competition there. I think they have a really good shot at getting one of those at-large tournament bids with a guy like Bates to lead the team. So he'll be interesting to watch because uh, I'm sure he's going to tear up that conference. Yeah, no, I think they'll definitely be one of the better teams than Mac. And if if Imani Bates does this for the rest of the season, he'll be a first-round draft pick like he was he was projected to be a few years ago. This is actually the first year is technically eligible for the draft because he came to college early. So that's right. He's he's right on pace, I guess. Um, but let's kind of use this to <coughs> to transition into Tennessee's preview. Tennessee's matchup for next week, Florida Gulf Coast takes down the USC Trojans 74-61. to 61. Yeah, I'm a little surprised by that. That uh, makes me nervous. I did not think that they were going to be able to do that, especially on the road. Um USC had one double-digit score in this game. It was Boogie Ellis. I mean, it's not like they've lost a ton either. I mean, I mean, I get the Mobley brothers are gone, but you still got Drew Peterson, the lanky 6'9 guard. So, I mean, you should at least have some help there. We know FGCU is a good mid-major because of things they've done in the past, but that was only in March, not in November. Yeah, this is definitely concerning, um, especially 
especially playing away, that's really tough for a mid-major to pull off. USC traditionally has a good basketball program, and I don't really know what's going on there. Uh, like you said, they, they are a team that should by all means be doing just fine. To lose like that is pretty embarrassing at home. Yeah, but um, as far as Florida Gulf Coast goes, obviously that's you know something that's a little bit concerning for us, but they, they did lose to San Diego in their second game, so maybe USC is just bad. I don't know. I, I think we'll get the win on Wednesday. I guess we can kind of move to that game. Us taking on Florida Gulf Coast here on Wednesday in Thompson Bowling Arena. You know, I think this is very much a get-right spot for Tennessee. You know, they I think if we lose this game, I'm very nervous about what's going to happen in uh, the Thanksgiving tournament. But if we can win this, I think we're in a decent spot. Um, but this is the game that we need to figure out who's playing when, who are our starters, who are our closers, who's good at running together. I think this is a game where you should hopefully be able to figure that out, and that's what needs to happen. I, I could care less about the outcome. Obviously, we want to win this basketball mm-hmm. game. But if we win this by five points or we win this by 25 points, I don't really care as long as I see improvement on kind of just how the team is is working together. Yeah, and I want to see a more solid game plan, and I really want to see more hustle from this team because when I was watching that Colorado game, I just felt like on defense and on offense, everybody just had giant weights in their shoes. It felt like everybody was moving across that floor real slow. There was no hustle. There was no energy. And usually in a game like that, you'll have at least one guy trying to play a hero ball. But if, And there were guys taking dumb shots, but it didn't even feel like there was a guy who was just hustling out of his mind trying to get us back in it. So I just want to see a lot more effort out of our guys and a lot more urgency, especially on offense where it feels like the ball would just kind of meander around the arc and no one would really want to shoot it. And when they did, they'd pick the stupidest shot you've ever seen. Yeah, there was there was definitely no one out there slapping the floor on defense. You know, I, I speaking on on the hustle. I remember seeing one play where there's a loose ball on the floor, and Vescovi thought about diving for it for a second. Didn't happen, and they end up Colorado gets the ball back and goes down and scores. Um, I, I agree with you there. I think, you know, I, I've been saying this since the first episode is is we need to find that guy. I think mm-hmm. Tyreek can be that guy. I don't think Sakai Ziegler can be that guy. I think, unfortunately, he's shown to us he's just. He's just not that guy when it comes to handling the ball, when it comes to big moments. I think a guy like Tyreek Key has the better chance to do that. I also think a guy like Josiah Jordan-James could be that, but obviously he's not a ball handler, so who knows there. But, yeah, this is very much a get-right game. Yeah, this is most definitely a figure-out game for Tennessee because after what we saw with the lineup, Rick Barnes clearly unhappy with the lineup. Zakai Ziegler had said before that he didn't want to be the starting point guard, and now it it looks as if his wish will come true. And you guys are absolutely right about Tyreek Key. I mean, why not put him in there when you need offense, somebody to generate you some offense, and you don't have a guy like that, at least so far in the starting lineup from what we've seen this season. And I will say, too, Josiah Jordan-James, even though he hasn't been 100% all season long, he's been a nice offensive producer Mm -hmm. for this team as well. So, I mean, maybe you consider giving him the start as well. I mean, he's – a, a pretty valuable asset on both ends of the court. I mean, he's a great defender as well uh, because that's really what he was known for before we got down the stretch last year, saw him really taking over on the offensive end. So I like Tennessee to get this one done. Uh, just really need to figure everything out, though. Yeah, and the one thing I would say I'm most disappointed with Zakai Ziegler about 
It's just the fact whenever he came off the bench last year, it changed how the game was played, and he was a spark off the bench, and everybody just seemed to light up with more energy. It seems like he's totally a fish out of water now, and obviously, you know, we've talked a ton about how he didn't want that one spot. I, As a basketball player, you have to you have to just want it, and you have to want that spotlight because this is a game where it is very individual, even though it's about the team. It's a very individual sport, and the spotlight's going to be on you if you're a good player. So I I just wish he felt more comfortable in that spotlight because I do really think he could be a great player. It just seems like he's totally uncomfortable. For sure, and, and we will kind of get to see that more as develops here on Wednesday and, and going into next week, but this team definitely has a lot more to figure out than we than we probably initially thought. Uh, moving to some, some more exciting basketball. <laughs> Tomorrow night, Champions Classic, 7 p.m., Michigan State versus Kentucky, 9 p.m., Duke versus Kansas. Um, I feel like I've been missing this because normally this is opening night or the second night of the season. Uh, it got pushed back a week, but it's finally here. I'm very excited. I think this is this is always a very fun night because um, you, you get a, a super exciting game. Then you get to see these playoff rankings unveiled, which is even more fun when your team's in the conversation. Um, even though there probably won't be much much happening in the top five this week. It'll kind of stay the same. And then sandwiched another top game. Um, we'll start off there in Kentucky-Michigan State. Um, Kentucky hasn't played anybody yet. We don't we don't really know what they are. Um, obviously, their identity is probably mostly around Oscar Tashibwe, who, by the way, is questionable for Tuesday night's game. I'm not positive on the full status on that, but he is not 100%. So that's an interesting development. Uh, Michigan State has, however, played somebody. Like we previously mentioned, they play Gonzaga up to the buzzer. I think my confidence and, and probably everyone's confidence level and outlook on this game is very different today as it was at the beginning of the season. I think if you looked at this Champions Classic at the beginning of the season, Michigan State kind of stood out as the other three teams were all top ten and we weren't even ranked. Um, we're still not ranked, which uh, I don't even want to make comments on that. Um, but... I think this this team is now a team that you can say, yeah, they they could beat Kentucky, especially if Tashibwe is not 100%. And even if he is, you now have a guy in Matty Sissoko who is kind of Tashibwe but not as good, um, who can who can maybe kind of weather that storm a little bit. You know, I'm optimistic going into this game. Uh, the Champions Classic has, does not bode well for us historically. Um, but I'm excited to see what happens, and especially that matchup with Oscar Toshiba, if he plays, I think we'll kind of find out if Maddie Sissoko is a real deal and can be a real starting center for Michigan State. Yeah, and I really I really think that Michigan State has a great shot to win this one. I think that <clears throat> where Kentucky usually lacks is sort of that grit at the end of games, and I think Michigan State really has shown that they have that. I love Tashiwe, and he's a great player. So if he does play, I do think that Kentucky probably has this one in the bag just because he's going to be able to handle it down low. And his ability to get boards is severely underrated just because he has such a great scoring ability too. But the fact that he's able to get so much, so many boards just really changes the landscape of any game. And it makes it so a team like Michigan State has to just shoot at a higher percentage than a team like Kentucky to win this game. Well, and, and luckily this time we will not be shooting in direct sunlight nor in wind. So I <laughs> think you know it's it's kind of like when you're when you're swinging a bat with a with a, one of those metal donuts on it, <laughs> and so on Tuesday night we get to take that off. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I'm going to have to go with Michigan State here as well uh, because Kentucky. Oh, I'm not going with Michigan State. I think Kentucky's <laughs> going to win this game. But. Okay, yeah, yeah, Keegan, you can pick. You can pick Kentucky. Uh, don't don't jinx yourself like uh, somebody did to you on Friday night. But uh, <laughs> you know, Kentucky has not played anybody yet. Like you guys have said, I mean, the Howard and Duquesne are nobodies. Uh, and then on the other side, you know, Gonzaga had to play Michigan State or the other way around. But you know what I mean? It's it, it's a tough game for Michigan State to have to play early on. And, you know, without Kentucky being tested, I think we're going to see another one of those games where Coach Calipari is going to complain about how he his team is just a bunch of kids. They're still 18-year-olds, even though that's not the case. Uh, but, you know, the, the experience is one thing. And, of course, Sheboy not being 100%. Savir, Savir Wheeler is not 100% either for Kentucky, but it feels like that's just every other game for him. So I like Michigan State to win it. Sorry, Keegan. No, I don't. I mean, you don't need to apologize. I, I think we're gonna, this is going to be a close game, but if, if Tashibwe plays, I just don't know what we're going to do down the stretch because I think we, we may find ourselves in a similar situation where a lot of our bigs are in foul trouble because it's it, it's hard to guard Oscar Tashibwe without fouling him, right? I mean, we, we saw that in Tennessee's matchups, I think, Biggs got in foul trouble both those games. Did right? Jonas Adu get in foul trouble? I think he did. I mean, he, maybe that was I, kind I can't of remember. that was kind of his coming out game to an extent last year. It really year, was. I think mm-hmm. I think that may have been because Uro. So someone was in foul trouble for that to. Well, o- o- Olivia Kamwa was out. Yeah, that was it that's was why Uros, but, um, Uros was definitely yeah. in foul trouble that game, as he is kind of in most. <laughs> Hopping back to what you're saying about Cal before we move on to the next game, his complaining is the reason that this is happening this Tuesday and not last Tuesday. But anyways, he he likes to do that. I'm sure he'll have an excuse. If they lose that game, um, the second game, 9 p.m., Duke, Kansas, uh, two Final Four teams, one of them a national championship team. Um, both these teams look different. Um, I think Duke, obviously, more so than Kansas. Personnel wise, they, they both are, are very different, but Duke obviously has a brand new head coach in John Shire, and, and this is his, his first real test as a head coach. Um, I think Kay, I don't know off the top of my head, I think Kay probably had the best record in these Champions Classic games. If, if I'm not mistaken, you know, this was something that he really liked. I don't know if, if John Shire, you know, has the chops to go against, you know, Bill Self in this game. He, he's got a star-studded lineup of five-star guys, but I, I don't know if he gets it done. I, I think Bill Self and, and Kansas are going to be able to put away Duke pretty easily and, and kind of humble them early in this season. Is Bill Self returning for this game though? Because I know he because yeah, he, those, had, like, he had a couple violations. games. He had a couple games. I think it was was four, it three if or four? I'm not mistaken. Then that changes things because that would mean is this game uh, is this game four? I, I it, think, it's either three or four. I think Omaha and whatever they whoever they played the last game. I think it was like North Dakota State. That's one and two. Yeah. So I this think, is three. I think, I think he's still out for this yeah, one. No, it's a three. Yeah. Okay, that changes things, but. Uh, I'll still stick with Kansas here. I think Duke just very young, young head coach. I still like Kansas even without Bill Self. I think he's a good enough presence in the team that he's kind of instilled with this program that even without him physically there, I think they kind of know what to do and they, they, they'll get it done. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Kansas looked a bit shaky early on the season, uh, especially with that game against Omaha. It just seemed like they struggled a little bit at points. Not necessarily terribly, but... I don't feel like they've looked quite like champions uh, in this season as they did last. And I'm I'm liking the new kid on the block. I think Shire is a good hire 
for Duke. This Duke nice rhyming there, buddy. <laughs> I wasn't trying. It just happens sometimes. But um, this Shire guy, I, I like him. I think I think he's the perfect guy to carry on Kay's legacy because he seems pretty unlikable just in how he seems to present himself so far. So it, Duke with an unlikable head coach is unstoppable. So if this guy really proves to be unlikable, oh my God, Duke's becoming another dynasty. Yeah, I'm going to like Duke here as well because, Dom, like you were saying, they have not, Kansas has not been incredibly polished to start this season. I mean, we, you talked about the struggles with Omaha, but even before then, in that exhibition game against Pittsburgh State, they were struggling a little bit too. Uh, Duke has looked very strong in both of their games. Of course, they've played nobody, but so has Kansas, and they've struggled against those nobodies. So, yeah, John Shire's the new guy, but I still like Duke to get it done because there's always new people at Duke. For sure. Should be a, a good time on Tuesday night. I will definitely be tuned in from the start of that first game all the way through the end, as, as I always am. Um, but in case you don't get your fill on Tuesday night, more premier programs facing off on Wednesday when we have Gonzaga in Texas. I believe this is a second of a home-and-home home series. If I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, they played um, at a similar time in November last year. I don't know if it's home-and-home home or neutral, but they definitely played last year. And it was a great game. I remember it, it kind of came down the wire. It may have went to overtime. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I just remember it being a good game last year. Um, obviously, Gonzaga coming off the win against Michigan State. Texas hadn't played anybody yet. I think Gonzaga kind of having that experience of a close battle against a good team in Michigan State gives them the upper hand here, and I think Mark Few and the Bulldogs get it done. I can definitely see that happening, and having that experience from the prior game is very important and will help Gonzaga out a lot here. However, I I like this Texas team to get it done in this one because they're playing at home, and I just feel like Texas, they have good bigs that will be able to match up with Timmy decently, but I think they just have the ability to move the ball around a bit better and I think the weakness with this Gonzaga team is just having to move through Timmy so consistently. So I I think there's a possibility that Timmy does not have his best game, and I think this Gonzaga team loses when Timmy doesn't have his best game. Yeah, this one's a hard one for me because I think Texas having the home court advantage is everything here. Uh, but Gonzaga, you know, I mean, they've, they, they're battle-tested. Obviously, they saw a good Michigan State early on, and they're going to see a lot more difficult opponents because that's kind of what you have to do when you play in a conference like the West Coast Conference. So, But, you know, I, I kind of like Texas here because, you know, there, there's a little bit more depth to the team, unlike Gonzaga, because what we see with them right now is it's, it's primarily Timmy. I mean, the guards are not as special as what we've seen in the past, and Timmy doesn't have that compliment like a Holmgren or a Kispert to really help him out. So... I like Texas to get this one done. For sure. Um, hopping up to Friday, we have the main event matchup happening in T-Mobile Arena out in Las Vegas. That consists of two games similarly to the Champions Classic. You have number 16, Virginia, taking on number 5, Baylor, at 7, and then number 19, Illinois, taking on number 8, UCLA, at 9.30. We'll start there, Virginia-Baylor. I'm excited for this one. These are two coaches that I think – are really good and, and are always fun to kind of watch their teams go at it. Um, I think Virginia and, and Tony Bennett kind of have more to prove here. Obviously, Baylor's kind of coming off um, a, a stretch here where they've been really good, and Virginia's kind of been down and, and not been what they were three, four years ago. You know, I think this year may be a, a, a Tony Bennett resurgence to an extent. I don't even know if you can say a resurgence because they won the national championship 
like four years ago. Well, they weren't in the tournament last but year, yeah, so you can call yeah. it that. I think they they have more to prove, and, and and Scott Drew and Baylor. Not that they don't have anything to prove, but they they have obviously the the more recent chip, and they they kind of have, I guess, less pressure on them. Um, so I, I like Virginia here. I I like Baylor in this one, I, and the reason why is I feel like these Virginia teams they're very guard focused, and they tend to be they tend to be that high octane offense that they're fast, but. I like Baylor because they're a very physical team typically, and they always have guys who are going to cause problems for the other team, especially on defense. And I think that Baylor is just a little bit more polished right now. I feel like because they're a little bit more recently successful, they're, they have that sort of air about them where they're still a very respected program and their guys are a little bit more locked in than Virginia at this point in time. Yeah, I'm liking Baylor here as well because, I mean, one, like you said, Virginia is a team that tends to play slower. I mean, in that Tony Bennett national title run, I mean, it they, they were a team that played slow. They aren't built to come from behind. I think Baylor is a team that can score a lot in a hurry, as we've seen. I mean, obviously that game against what was it, Mississippi Valley State, they scored a lot. Um, and unfortunately, another thing for Virginia, I mean, today we saw the whole thing about the uh, three football players that were murdered last night at Virginia. I mean, that's a very upsetting circumstance. And, you know, if if there's any kind of emotional holdover, I mean, it's going to be a tough week for them at Virginia. And it's really unfortunate, but we'll see how this team does, how they react to that circumstance. But I still like Baylor. Yeah, very, very unfortunate thing that, that happened in Charlottesville uh, yesterday. Um, but moving on to the later game, we have Illinois taking on UCLA. Um, this, this Illinois team is, is interesting to me because obviously they're losing their kind of top three guys, but they kind of have bounced back and, and a couple of the role players from last year have filled in and been scoring a lot of points. It's an interesting situation because a lot of times, you know, when you lose, when you lose a guy, my, my mic just fell over there <laughs> as you lose a, a guy as good as, I'm blanking on his name. Who who are we talking about here? Illinois. Uh, Kofi. Yeah, yeah. you, you lose Kofi a guy Coburn. as good and as dominant as Kofi Coburn. It's, it's normally tough to bounce back from, but like I said, they kind of have these role players who just slipped into these really good roles, and it hasn't been the freshman. You know, looking at this roster, you would think, you know, a five-star freshman guy like Sky Clark would be the one to jump in and, and kind of take over, but it's been, you know, there's a couple of players who scored, you know, 9, 10 points last year. Now they're out here scoring 19, 18 points, so Illinois looks good. And then UCLA, on the other hand, they somehow just had the same players for like a million years in a row. You know, that that Michigan State-UCLA first four to game that, you know, obviously led to the final four run for UCLA seems like a million years ago. All those guys are still there somehow. Hami Hakez, Tyga yeah. Campbell, they're they're just all still there. Uh, I think I think Juzang and Bernard are gone now, yeah, but, yeah. but I mean Johnny uh, still, still gone. some <laughs> pretty significant contributors on that team that are remaining from that run. And I think that veteran experience probably lends uh to, to them being the, the favorite in this game. So I, I like UCLA, especially being on Vegas too. They're they're closer to home, probably have a, a bigger crowd that sort of thing. So give me UCLA. Yeah, I'm honestly liking UCLA too here. I do really like Brad Underwood as a coach, but like you said, uh, losing a guy like Kofi Coburn, it stings. It stings a lot. And the experience of this UCLA team is incredibly impressive, just keeping together this unit for so long, especially with Tiger Campbell. He's just a very fluid guard. Um, And uh, I always like watching him play because the number one question that pops into my head is, how is he not super hot right now, like physically hot? Because he's got 
those giant dreads that are like a helmet around his head. I just feel like you'd yeah. be so hot on the floor, be but he still gets it done. I, I mean, sweat. maybe maybe it's like a heat check thing. Maybe it keeps him hot. He's on fire. I don't know. It works for him, though. Perhaps. I mean, I, I like UCLA to win it here, too, because I think the experience, like we talked about, is everything with this team. Not having Kofi stinks a lot. Um, they did get a pretty significant transfer in Matthew Meyer from Baylor. Uh, hasn't been a huge contributor so far for them. Uh, Coleman Hawkins is another guy that could step up a lot this year, but he's still no Kofi Coburn. And, you know, with guys like Sky Clark, Terrence Shannon, who transferred in from Texas Tech, I mean, we just don't know yet with this team. So I think there's just more established with UCLA right now. I got to go with the Bruins. For sure, and we have one more big game to get to. Before we get to that, I'll kind of just throw in quickly the Gavit games are happening. Um, there's eight matchups. It's the Big Ten versus um, – what's going on in my brain right the now? The Big East. <laughs> big East. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a little out of it under the weather today. Um, I'll just run through these real quick. These are all kind of happening this week. Um, you have Penn State versus Butler, Minnesota versus du- Duquesne, right? Is that – I believe it's it's either Duquesne or DePaul. Either one. DePaul. It's DePaul. I think it's DePaul. Um, and then Marquette versus Purdue, Georgetown, Northwestern, Seton Hall, Iowa, St. John's, Nebraska, Xavier, Indiana, and Michigan State, Villanova. Um, I think for me, Michigan State, Villanova is the most interesting out of these. Obviously, one, because I'm a Michigan State fan, but two, I think Villanova is, is probably one of the more exciting teams out of these. Yeah, uh, objectively, you're right here. I mean – all these other ones. Some of these Big East teams are just yeah. bottom of the barrel. The, the fir- same thing with the Big Ten. The first year mm-hmm. of the Scavit games, it was really good. And, and after that, it hasn't been all that great because the Big Ten has been very deep and the uh, Big East has kind of been top-heavy. So there's been kind of a lot of Big Ten dominance going on in this. And then I think that will probably continue this year. Indiana will smack Xavier. Iowa should beat Seton Hall easily. Penn State should beat Butler. Butler stinks. Purdue should probably beat Marquette. So I think it will probably be – a Big Ten dominance there. Um, but moving on to our, our last preview game of this week, we have another huge matchup in Kentucky versus Gonzaga. This one is happening out in Spokane, so a home game for Gonzaga after going neutral to take on Michigan State and then away on the road to take on Texas. They're putting themselves through a gauntlet, and obviously if, if they come out of all three of these games, win – with with wins they will they will solidify themselves as easily the best team um you know i think this game will, will be pretty good because both these teams will have been tested at this point they they, they both will have played michigan state and then gonzaga will also add in a, a top 15 matchup against texas so i think out of the ones we've mentioned i may be more excited for this than either the champions classic matchups just because i think at this point even even though it's only really a week later um or even less honestly uh, there'll be a little more season, and I think we'll get a, a very good matchup here. A hundred percent. I'm extremely excited for this matchup, and obviously, one of the things you got to consider is uh, Kentucky's team having to fly out from Lexington all the way up to Spokane. That's that's a long, long ways across the country, and that's always tough on a team. But I think this is a really, really fun matchup for a lot of reasons. First, Shibwe and Timmy. That's going to be really fun to watch that's must watch tv right there two big men going at it 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 does not happen very often in modern basketball i i know i say that a lot with big men and whatnot but i just really love 
big men in basketball. I think they're some of the most fun players to watch, even though they're not necessarily as important pieces as they have been in the past. Tashibwe and Timmy are going to be great against each other, and I I think Kentucky just has the advantage here because Tashibwe is a little bit better of an athlete than Timmy, I would say, and I think that I think he's going to dominate Timmy just a little bit. And I think that this Kentucky team is going to be able to pull away up there in Spokane. Yeah, and I think for the player who kind of wins this matchup, they have a very good thing to put on their their resume or on their their ballot for I need to be player of the year because I, I think these are mm-hmm. kind of the two that you're looking at here in the early season as heavy favorites to be in that conversation. Yeah, this one's really, really tough for me uh, because we've we've still got a lot to figure out with both of these teams in the week to come because they both have – very difficult midweek matchups, obviously. Kentucky play at Michigan State in the Champions Classic, who already saw Gonzaga. And then Gonzaga's going to go to Texas as well. So, oh, man. Um, I it, it just depends on me, for me at least, if Oscar Sheway is 100% in this game. If he is 100%, I think he could definitely do it against Drew Timmy. I think that will determine who wins this matchup. If he is 100%, I think Kentucky wins. If not, I'm going to have to go with the Zags. All right, so those are the matchups for this week. Um, definitely the most exciting week we have fo- so far, but it will not be the most exciting week of the month because next week we get Feast Week. We get to preview that, so I'm super excited to do that. Um, but a great little appetizer for Feast Week going on this week. Um, and Before we go, we're going to do a little top five current college basketball coaches so last week we obviously did a draft this one's gonna be a little different um we can overlap do whatever we're kind of just gonna go one by one go down the list uh in descending order so we'll start with five and go down and this is this is current coaches in both the aspect of they are coaching right now and what they are right now so like for me uh, i don't think anyone has this on this their list like a guy like jim Beheim. if we were saying top five coaches right now that are coaching, I would say Jim Beheim. But if we're saying top five coaches right now this season, he's not there for me. So that that's kind of where we're at. Um, I'll have I'll have you start off, Dominic. Just read your number five, or say your number five, and then we'll all go. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So my number five that I'm going to take is Ed Cooley at Providence because mm-hmm. what he did last season was just so incredible with a team that I don't think anyone really expected to win the Big East. And I was just really impressed with that run because that Big East conference last year was so tough. And each week was just a battle for those teams. So I really like Ed Cooley right now, and I think he's done a phenomenal job with that program. It's always hard when you have such a small program like that and such little resources that I think what he's done is just r- remarkably impressive. And he's got, a good tr- he's got a good group of transfers this season too, so he might be able to do something. Yeah, I think you know he has a decent roster, but I, he does not crack it for me yet. I think he's he's getting in the conversation top fifteen, top twenty, but there's there's not enough there yet for me to say top five. Um, with that being said, my five's Tom Izzo. You know, I I knew he was going to be somewhere on this list for me, and and I think five is that place. Obviously, historically, he's you know has one of the better resumes aside from national championships with only one um, in his twenty eight year tenure, but he is just the the, the epitome of consistency. He has made the tournament 25 years, and I don't even know the number anymore, 25-plus years in a row. We haven't missed it. Um, I don't think that will change this year. And I think every single year you go into, this guy's a threat, and he's 
no matter who's on his team, a guy that you do not want to be going up against. So that's kind of why he slides in at five. But because, you know, he's kind of on the on the decline a little bit here, I, I can't push him any further up. Call me a little biased here. I'm going to have to go with Rick Barnes nope. at five. I, I can see it. At five. I can see it. Here's the thing. He has – it's not about the tournament as much for me as it is his development of players because when he got to Tennessee, the program was a wreck, all right? Bruce Pearl had done his whole barbecue thing back in 2011, and it just went into disaster mode. They bring in Conzo Martin. That went about how you would expect with Conzo Martin. Very mid, very mediocre. Nothing exciting going on. They had one good run to the Sweet 16. Then they get rid of him because, I mean, this guy, this guy's just too mediocre to keep around. Well, then they bring in Donnie Tyndall. Donnie Tyndall goes, I believe it was 15-15 and 15 in his one year here. And then the NCAA opened up an investigation on some academic fraud that was committed at Southern Miss with him. So basically, Tennessee saved or Tennessee was saved by the NCAA from keeping him around. So then they bring in Rick Barnes to a program that is just in trouble. So he's got all these three stars, and he develops them into a team that can make a decent run in the tournament. I mean, the fact that they were able to get in the tournament with the some of the lesser talented guys that you would find, like not the McDonald's All-Americans or whatever, um, the fact that he was able to do that puts him on this list for me. Um, I mean, tournament successes aside, I, I think he definitely deserves number five just because of his player development over time. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the tournament success thing is, is really the only kind of argument you can put against it. Obviously, he's been a consistently good regular season coach for his you know whole career. Uh, I think he won coach of the year in 2019 with that Elite Eight team. Um, so that, that was a recent accolade that he earned. But, I mean, that tournament success is, is just... <coughs> what didn't allow me to put him on the list because, you know, I just don't go into the season with a Rick Barnes coach team expecting a national championship. And I think all five guys on my list, you can go into every single year and say, I think they can win a national championship. I don't care who's on their team. Because, I mean, Rick Barnes, obviously, I think he has one final four, but it was with Kevin Durant. So, I mean, I I don't know. That that, that just that, that just hurts it for me. Dom, who's your, your four? My number four, uh, he may be a little bit low, to be honest, but I'm taking Bill Self at the four spot just because, I, for me, my criteria with coaches always considers the program they're at, the resources they have, and the players that they have. And if you're a guy like Bill Self, you have everything you want at Kansas. It's not a knock against him, but when you're at a place like Kansas, you very well should be expected to succeed. And succeed he has. He's been phenomenal. And... Obviously, coming off that championship last year, incredibly impressive. Uh, he always is able to just consistently outcoach and lead his team to success. Incredible coaching career and incredible, incredible season last year. No knocks against him, except for the fact that it's just a program where that's somewhere where you should succeed. Yeah, I, I have some rebuttals to that, but he's higher up my list, so I'll I'll save them. My number four is Tony Bennett. I mean, I think. He's fundamentally one of the best coaches. Um, obviously, he won a national championship just a few years ago. You know, I mentioned earlier in this show, I thought this might be a resurgence year for him. I think he's another guy who's good at developing players. He has a great system, you know, that, that defensive mind. Like, he's one of the those guys where 
his team has an identity that's centered around him. And I think that coupled with kind of just what he's been able to do and, and stay consistent in the ACC when he has to go up against these these perennial powerhouses in Duke and Carolina every year and kind of hold his own. And, and I think he, in the past 10, 15 years, has won more ACC championships than Duke and Carolina. So he's kind of quietly dominated the ACC. So he's my number four. My number four, as much as I hate to put him here, John Calipari, because what he has been able to do with the talent that he's gotten, and he's gotten a lot of talent over the years, but these are guys that come out of high school. They are the best player on their team by a mile. He is getting them ready for the NBA. He is helping them develop into a player that becomes a little bit more of a team player in a sense. So that's obviously something that not a lot of people know how to do, and he's been able to do that for a long time, and he – he really loves his players, too. He cares a lot about them. And, you know, the success he's had at Kentucky has been nothing short of spectacular. I mean, they expected at Kentucky, but I've got to put him up there. All right, Dom, who is your, your number three here? My number three, I'm taking Eric Musselman. He has come into his own recently and has been phenomenal with Arkansas. Arkansas is not this traditional college basketball powerhouse. And this is, this is why I'm putting him here is because he's taken a program that it was an afterthought in the SEC. No one was really thinking, oh, man, Razorback basketball. Can't wait for that. And he's turned them into he's turned them into the best team at that university. I mean, disappointing football season for him. They expected a lot more. But Musselman is really – he's just been influential, too, in how uh, coaches are recruiting now because he's been able to bring these top-tier guys – to a place like Fayetteville, which was never really a destination for anyone prior to him being there. And just his coaching style is incredible. And he's changed a lot of how college basketball works, I feel like, in these past couple seasons. Yeah, I like that pick. I mean, I think he's, you know, in a similar spot to me as, as Ed Cooley is, where he's he's on the up and coming, but he's not a guy like going into the season. I'm like, he's going to get it done, especially with coaches like Calipari and Rick Barnes in the same conference. I don't know if you can go and expect him to dominate yet, but I think in, in five years he's probably in the conversation for me. Um, but with that being said, my number three is going to be Mark Few. Um, I mean, Mark Few took a program in Gonzaga who probably no one had ever heard of before. Like, I don't even, still don't even know if Gonzaga is a real college, and he has turned them into a powerhouse in the country and in the WCC He's won 21 championships there in his 24 years. Um, he's been to a couple Final Fours, and he has a crazy winning record. He has over 600 wins with less than 200 losses, which is insane. It's over an 80% win percentage. Obviously, he plays in the WCC, but that's still very impressive for him to be able to turn this tiny school into this just powerhouse of a program. It kind of feels like you know, one of those little small prep basketball schools that somehow just gets every five-star player. That's kind of what he's turned it into, which I don't know if very many other coaches could do that and, and kind of have the the whereabouts to stay there and not jump ship because he could have any job he wants in the country and he hasn't done it. So I think he earns a little respect, respect for me in entering this season. I very much expect Gonzaga to be a one seed and have a chance at the Final Four. So that's why he's he's a top three coach for me right now. My number three has got to be Scott Drew at Baylor. Um, I think he has been able to consistently keep this program atop the Big 12 
competing with Kansas year in and year out. Uh, obviously, they're a blue blood. And, you know, Baylor, it's it's not a school that's easy to bring in all these big-time players as well. I mean, obviously, being a Christian school, it's a little bit different there. But, yeah, I, I think what he's been able to do over time, just a model of consistency uh, in the Big 12. I got I to gotta go with Scott Drew at three. I definitely respect it. Scott Drew's a great pick. Uh, I really like what he's done over there at Baylor, too, and just how he's been able to form such an identity with that team. Um, but to transition to my number two pick, this is where I say Tom Izzo, because I feel like I, I just have a good feeling about Izzo this year. I don't know what it is, but just especially with that game against Gonzaga, I feel like he's outperforming expectations by a lot with the level of talent he has right now. I feel like this is a bit of an off year uh, for Michigan State in the sense of talent, but he's been able to do really well with it so far, and I think he's going to be able to just lead a team that maybe shouldn't be the best of the best to being a really great team this year. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's been a consistent theme with Michigan State under Tom Izzo is they've... They've had teams that have had a bunch of five stars, and and those teams have been good, but those have never been our best teams. I think Mm -hmm. our best teams have been the ones where Tom Izzo has been able to put the most impression and kind of mold these guys and develop these players to kind of fit his style. Because when you get a bunch of five stars in, divas, yeah, it's it's a little tougher. When you mold those players and you're a good coach and can do that, those are your best teams. You know, I think to to a 2015 team specifically where we. We're kind of uh, not a great recruiting class. Couldn't really find our way throughout the season, but these players just kept developing. You, you, you were seeing guys like Bryn Forbes, like Denzel Valentine, just getting a little bit better. And then come tournament time, they're a seven seed. People don't really know what to do with them, and they just start winning games. They beat number 10 Georgia. They take down number two Virginia, and they just make this run to the final four, ultimately lose to Duke. But – that's the kind of team that I could see this being for sure. I, I hope a little better. I hope we're we're higher in the seven seed, but 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 in that same sentiment. Anyways, uh, my number two is is Scott Drew. Um, I'll kind of just echo what what Tucker said, and I mean that 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 recent national championship obviously puts it up there. The most for you, um, you know, his impressive recruiting, all that. They look like a really good team this season. Um, they're gonna get tested against. Uh, they are they, no, they're playing. Are they playing Illinois? I'm already forgetting. Uh, it's Virginia. They're playing yep. Virginia. It's both orange. So I, I expect, like I said, him and Tony Bennett to go head to head there. Um, and those are two guys on my list. So great coach and Scott Drew. Not much more to be said there. That's my number two. Yeah. So Keegan, you took my number three as your number two. I'm going to do the same to you. I'm going to take Mark Few at my number two okay. because I think that, you know, despite the fact that really the only thing that he is missing is national championships, I mean, he's essentially created what is a G League team in Gonzaga because, I mean, we don't we don't know anything about Gonzaga outside of the fact that they've got a basketball program that is insane year in and year out. I know something. It's a Catholic school. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. It's also very tiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine it's very tiny. But you know, here's the thing. He's been in, he's been doing this for twenty plus years now, and he's turned this Gonzaga team into an absolute juggernaut in the West Coast Conference. I mean, it's not a name that sticks out like particularly in any other sport, but basketball just for some reason is just insane every year with them. So I like Mark Few at number two. Yeah, Mark Few is a great pick, and I really respect him a lot. Just however, this year I feel like 
I feel like with Gonzaga, the expectations have gotten so lofty because of the reputation he's built over the years that it's it's a team where the expectation is to get to that next step and win. So that's why he's sitting just outside my top five right now. For my number one, call me a little bit crazy, but I'm picking Hubert Davis. I just think that stepping in after after a historically amazing, perfect UNC coach, such massive shoes to fill. I think Hubert Davis has done a great job so far and has been able to inflect his own identity upon a team that, you know, it's it's so hard to follow that up and be able to confidently put your own identity into a team. And UNC was, they did not look super amazing during the regular season last year, but really turned it on for tournament time. And I love a tournament coach. I think Hubert Davis is that guy. And I think he's, I think he's on his way to great things. Yeah, I mean, I will call you crazy here. I think that's a, a lot of, not even a little bit of an overreaction, a lot of overreaction. It's year two. Obviously, he's been with the program a while, but it's not too too late to call last year a fluke yet. Like, I'm not saying it is by any means. I think yeah, it seems no, I, good, I definitely get it. But, but they weren't that great in the regular season. They made, they were, what, a, a seven, eight, yeah, nine Yeah, I mean, t- Tennessee beat them by 17 at the beginning yeah, they, of the they, season. They, <laughs> they made it in as an I eight. Think, Hubert Davis would be a good coach there, but calling him the best coach in the country going this season, I just I don't think he's there yet. Not even close. Um, I think mine, hands down, this was this list I was struggling with for a minute, but this number one was no question for me, and it's Bill Self. Um, you know, I, I know what you said earlier about kind of Kansas being a, an established program, which they were. Um, you know, the two coaches before him, Larry Brown, didn't do a ton at Kansas, made one Final Four, but obviously went on to be a legendary coach, followed up by another legendary coach in Roy Williams, who who kind of established that program to a huge extent, um, made a couple Final Fours, but also never, never secured that national championship. And then Bill Self comes in, and he kind of finally finishes the race, and he, he's got two national championships there now. That, that Kansas team is dominant year in and year out. I mean, they have owned the Big 12 for the better part of two decades. He's just been one of the most dominant coaches. He's another guy, like I said, you expect him every single season to be in the Final Four. You know, they're a team that's in the Champions Classic for a reason. It's because of him. You know, I think he has made Kansas a premier program that obviously they still were under um, Roy Williams, but not to the same extent. All right, Keegan. Tom Izzo is my number one. (laughs) Wow. So... Here's so is Bill th- Self not on your list? I <laughs> I had to throw this list together pretty quickly. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. Tom Izzo, you know, he's he's been doing it for a long time now. And to me, it's tough because you've just lost these two legends and, of course, Coach K and Roy Williams to retirement recently. Yeah, I think if you're talking all-time that are yeah. coaching right now, yeah. with, with those two exiting, you look to, to Izzo. Izzo or, is definitely it, in there. Well, I would say you look to Izzo or Bayheim. Yeah. Those the only two if you're talking no, all-time that exactly. are still coaching, and I think I, I agree with you that Izzo is the yeah. better of those two. And here's the thing. Izzo is the closest thing we have to a Nick Saban of college basketball in my eyes. Just the willingness to give players hard coaching – at all times. I mean, we I, I, I can point back to several NCAA tournament games here. I mean, UCLA in that uh, first four game, I mean, he and Gabe Brown were going at it, but that was that was just good coaching there by Izzo to, you know, keep his player where he needed him to be. And then, of course, I think back in that Bradley game, it blew up all over social media. Uh, I think that was, what, 2018? Uh, but 
yeah, I mean, he was able to just really. Wait, which one are you talking about? Was it 2018 that they played Bradley in the first round? And uh, of yeah. course, he was he was chewing on that guy a little bit, but you know, he was able to you know get he's able to oh, really Aaron Henry. Yeah, he's able to coach up these players and you know get them to play cohesively as one another. I mean, it, it's it's tough for me to really see anybody else right now that is. Uh, has done it for as long as he has, but I I got to go with Izzo as my number one. Yeah, I think you know the reason I had him at five, and and the reason I think a lot of people knock him are, are one just how long it's been since he's won a national championship. But again, with the parity of college basketball, when you make so many Final Fours, I feel like it's hard to make that argument. You're there every year, you kind of just don't get the lucky breaks in those matches. Like if you're making a Final Four, I don't know that's much that like how much of a different season if your team makes the Final Four versus they win the national championship obviously in the moment but looking back like i don't know it's that big of a difference like you're both there unless you get like absolutely killed in the final four but if you play a close game in the final four it is what it is and i think the other thing is recruiting you know it's been a little inconsistent of lately but like i mentioned you know he, he can kind of develop players but i think you know right now his recruiting's gotten better next year we have the number three ranked class uh three four stars and a five star coming in so I think, you know, in this last stretch of his career, it took him a minute to kind of figure out this new recruiting scene, but he's getting better. Um, he's a top five coach for me as well. But that'll do it. Uh, Tucker had Izzo as your number one. I had Bill Self, and you had Hubert Davis. Hubert <laughs> Davis, which I think we'll look back and, uh, and, and probably throw some question marks at. Um, <laughs> Obviously. Next, next week, we will have a lot of big games to recap, a lot to preview. It'll be a big show. Um Probably on on Zoom, right? I don't. It's Thanksgiving, so yeah. not sure about the logistics. I, of that I will one. be in thirty A somewhere. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll say about that Hubert Davis pick though is is maybe maybe we come back. It's it's been twenty years and he's got his ten national championships, and I, I called it. That's yeah, all I'm saying. I, I got too many friends who are North Carolina fans. I don't think I could, I could deal <laughs> with ten national championships from the Tar Heels. Um, but that's our show. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening to Hardwood Hot Takes. Around the world, to the beach, let's go. All around the world, y'all know this is so so dead.